Hey, everybody, and welcome to Healthy Discourse. I am so excited to you our special guest today, and that is my friend, Scott Cumbie. And Scott, um, I met you a little over, actually a year ago, when I attended my first um, GOP, what do you call that, convention. <laughs> and I just was curious about what does it mean, like how do we get involved now? And Scott ran that meeting, and I was very impressed by his professionalism. And uh, since then, we've been involved in several different endeavors together. And what I admire the most about Scott is he is he's an expert in American history and specifically our Decla Declaration of Independence and Constitution. And I think that we are certainly in a place now where we have drifted away from teaching, learning, and understanding the founding documents of our country and how they still apply today. And so I would love to welcome you to the show, Scott, to help give us a perspective about why this definitely matters and that we certainly need to be paying attention. Okay. Well, Emily, thank you so much for having me today. It, uh, it's an honor that you asked, and it's a great privilege to be here today. Uh, so I guess let me begin. The way you'd, you'd uh, framed the question for me was, uh, you know, what are the three most important uh, things that we need we need to be reminded of uh, when it comes to being Americans. Right. So uh, let me, let me answer kind of that question. Cause I think that's really key. Uh, you know, anytime with sports or wherever, um, when uh, you're trying to improve what you're doing so often, you just go back to the basics. And that's really what this, this is uh, what I want to do is kind of get back to the basics. Uh, what is this all about? What are we supposed to do? And we can talk a little bit about um, where you started you know, how to get involved and kind of what's next. But, but let me start with that. So if, if you want to get to the, the uh, a, a kind of the core principles, those first principles of uh, American government, American history, it's really going back to the Declaration of Independence. And if you haven't, uh, you know, those uh, that are listening, if you haven't read the uh, Declaration in a while, I'd encourage you to um, pick up a copy and find all those little booklets around that people hand out now. And you can easily find a copy online and just read back through that because it, mm -hmm. uh, it is so important we understand and grasp what's there. And if you read the declaration, it's in three sections. Uh, the first section is what I call the philosophy um, of our government. And it's, it's the words that um, many of us are familiar with. You know, we hold these truths to be self-evident. Uh, the second section is what I call the abuses and usurpations. It's the list of reasons why we separated from Great Britain. And in that list, there's 27 uh, separate reasons that are listed. And, you know, it's interesting if you ask most people, you know, why do we separate from Great Britain? The thing that uh, is the common, most common answer is taxation without representation. Mm -hmm. and if you read that list of 27, uh, you will find taxation with a representation on that list, but it's not the first one. It's not the second one. In fact, it's not even in the top 50%. It's all the way down at number 17. And if it's at number 17, then that means there's a whole lot more important reasons that are probably before it. Now, I'm hope to actually touch on a couple of those today. Yeah. And then the third section of the declaration is, is what I call the appeal. It's the appeal to the King of Great Britain, the appeal to the people of Great Britain, and a, uh, appeal to God for uh, our our freedoms. Mm -hmm. Right. So 
So that's kind of the breakdown. Now, the three, the, to answer your question, well, you know, the three most important principles, it's really going back into that philosophy at the beginning. And, um, and let me, uh, let, let me kind of touch on that. So it starts off uh, about the, it's the second major paragraph, I believe it says, um, we hold these truths to be self-evident. And what I love about that statement is uh, when Jefferson wrote that, he was stating that, uh, you know, we don't need to debate about these things. Uh, what, what I'm about to tell you, what I'm about to list for you are self-evident truths that uh, everyone should understand. There's no debate. There's no argument. Uh, because they are self-evident. Mm-hmm. And then he lists four things. And I want to touch on the uh, first three because I think it answers your question. The first one is all men are created equal. And, uh, and what Jefferson meant by that and what our founders meant, and you, you uh, would have heard this talked about early in American history, um, is that we're all the same under the law. Uh, there's no one that has more value or less value because of the family you're born into, uh, the country they originated from, uh, the clothes they wear, whatever it may be. Every, each and every one of us uh, are valuable as human beings because we are created by God. And, um, and therefore, under the law, we are all equal. No one should be treated any differently than another person under the law. And yes. that's where it all begins. I'm sorry I interrupted you. No, you didn't interrupt me. I'm just agreeing with you. You will be yeah, proud same. of me. I have the copy of the Constitution and Declaration of Independence that you gave me on my desk, and I reference it now. So you'll be very proud of me for that, I'm sure. Um, That's but fantastic. I'm agreeing with you, and I'm also um, thinking it's important that we understand that in a nation now that wants to divide us on, on, on perceived equalities inequalities on any number of things the ways that we're divided as far as who is equal and who is not dependent upon any number of things and obviously we've talked about COVID a lot on our podcast and you know whether you're masked or you're unmasked or you're vaccinated or you're not vaccinated I mean that's the most recent what will be next right (laughs) Yeah, and actually, that is that is an an incredible example. I mean, we you know this was written uh, 250 years ago, and we still are struggling with the same concept. We we want to categorize people into categories and then treat them differently based on the category they're in. But mm-hmm. the reality is, we're all equal. Just because some person, uh, an individual, decided they weren't going to get shot, uh, take a shot for an experimental biological agent because they thought that was not the best healthy choice for them, uh, doesn't allow the government to treat that person any differently than someone who's, who thought that the most healthy decision for them was to take the shot. Right. And it's just crazy. And here, mm-hmm. here in uh, Forsyth County, North Carolina, um, the uh, school uh, board is um, about to consider a code of conduct. And I've looked at the outline of the code of conduct and it, it's incredible to me that in there, they, they categorize people. I think they, the term they use, if I remember correctly, is, is subcategories. They're putting people into categories, and, and uh, it appears that they're going to treat uh, the uh, different groups of people differently based on the subcategory that the person finds themselves under the child. And mm-hmm. it's just incredible to me. I haven't seen that yet, but I believe, I, I, I'm sure that, you know, and that's what is happening more and more is and these different entities are creating categories, right. And of Mm -hmm. any, 
and we can, it goes across the board, any part of our lives that could possibly be categorized, you know, fitting everybody into different boxes. And it really does end up meaning different treatment to different people based upon whatever we put value on in this moment. And that is a very fickle and fleeting, um, the, the categories seem to change all the time, right? Where, where yeah. is the, um, the thermometer changes constantly and that's confusing and it's complicated and it's not according to the Declaration of Independence, the way that our country was designed to run. Yep, yep, that's exactly right. And interestingly enough, if you want to, if you want to get biblical here, uh, you know, Jesus, who in the Bible is referred to as the creator, uh, he made uh, a statement, I believe, believe it's in the book of Matthew, that said, uh, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Mm-hmm. We're just to treat other people the way we want to be treated. You don't right. need all these categories. You don't need to look at one person differently than another. You should, each, each and every one of us should treat those around us, um, the Bible refers to those people as our neighbors, just right. as we would like to be treated. And if we did that, we wouldn't need these um, uh, you know, multi-booklet uh, form codes of conduct that that uh, are so complex that nobody could ever know how they're supposed to uh, live and act inside the, uh, the public school system. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's a great example. Yeah. So, so that's the first. We're all created equal. Mm-hmm. Uh, secondly, the, um, uh, Jefferson said uh, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unable rights that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And those are probably the most common uh, words that uh, uh, most of us remember from the declaration. But there's some very important key things in here. Number one is we're endowed by our creator. Our creator is who gives us our rights. And the term that's used here is unalienable. And um, that, that word is, well, it's foreign to us because we don't use that word. It's that word is, is alien to us. But if you look at the root word alien, uh, something that's alien to us is something that doesn't belong to us. Mm -hmm. Something that is unalienable is something that's inherently ours. It belongs to us. It is part of us. And no, because our creator gave us these rights, no one has the authority to take those things from us. And then uh, Jefferson continues right after that. He says, Among these, he doesn't list our rights. He just lists three broad categories. And he said, uh, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Now, interestingly enough, when most people heard the declaration read for the very first time in their uh, town or uh, district, um, when they heard that phrase, among these are life, liberty, most people would have been thinking the next word to come was property, because Mm -hmm. that was a very common thing back in the the colonial area, uh, we heard pastors preaching from the pulpit. We heard, we heard politicians uh, talking, and that was the phrase, life, liberty, property. Jefferson changed this to pursuit of happiness. And what he was really doing was expanding on the idea of property. It's not only that you can own property, but you can use your property to whatever in whatever means you wish in order to pursue uh, your happiness, whether you used your property uh, for just personal use, whether you used your property uh, in a business aspect or whatever it may be that, uh, that, that our, uh, there's large categories of rights that we inherently own because our creator God gave them to us is life because without life, no other, uh, right matters, liberty, the, 
the freedom to live your life without interference from government or anyone else. And thirdly, a property or the pursuit of happiness. Mm-hmm. Now, that word right is, is a word that we, we, um, we hear used, I mean, every single day. Somebody, you're going to hear somebody say it. If you turn the TV on and watch any of the news programs, you're going to hear somebody talk about rights. And it is a very misused and misunderstood word. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in fact, you'll hear people say, um, uh, you know, does, uh, you know uh, does Congress have the right to do such and such? Or, uh, uh, you know, this governor uh, has the right to do whatever. And when they use the term in that aspect, they've misused it because rights are something that the individual possesses. It's uh, government doesn't have rights. There is no, we use the term states rights and we could, we could spend half an hour talking about that issue, but it's actually um, a misuse of the word rights. States don't have rights. Government doesn't have rights. Government has power that the people have delegated to it. Um, Mm -hmm. One of my favorite, if you go back a few years ago, one of my favorite um, presidential debate questions that was asked, I think it was the 2012 uh, election cycle, was the Republican presidential debate. Uh, George Stephanopoulos was the moderator. He asked the question, do states have the right to ban contraceptives? And it was interesting to watch these Republicans, uh, some of who were supposed to be constitutional experts, try to answer that question. They stumbled and fumbled around with it. They made, you know, they made an effort to answer the question, but they, the reason they struggled with it is because they don't define the word rights properly. The question is actually invalid. Do states have the right to ban contraceptives? The answer to that question is no, because states don't have rights. Governments mm-hmm. don't have rights. What if I had been one of the people on stage that day when that question was asked, I just said, uh, George, your question's invalid. It's meaningless. Mm-hmm. You need to fix the question. And the proper question is, do states have the power to ban contraceptives? And as soon as you change that word, it just changes the whole tone of the question, because the answer then becomes very simple. Uh, if George had asked that question, you know, I, I would have answered anybody could have answered by stating, well, you have to look in the state constitution and see if this if the people have delegated the power to the state to do that. Now, the right. issue of contraceptives was just not it, it, you, you could substitute anything, nothing to do with contraceptives. Sure. trying to trap Republicans to um, uh, saying something that they didn't want to say. This question was invalid. So the, the point here is that we have rights that God has given to us that belong to us and we inherently our ours because we are human governments have power that we the people delegate to it which really brings us to the third item uh the the third part of your question is Mm -hmm. how where jefferson says that to secure these rights governments are instituted on among men deriving their just and um equal powers from the consent of the governed so in other words um the um we, the people, delegate to government certain powers for the purpose of securing our rights. That is the purpose of government. But right. government today doesn't have that perspective. I mean, you look on the side of uh, some police cars in some towns, I have that little phrase on the side, to protect and to serve. If you deleted that or replaced it with to secure the rights of the people, all of a sudden, they would have a completely different perspective of what their purpose is. 
mm-hmm. uh, because when you say it's to protect and to serve, that can mean almost anything. But right. if the purpose of a police officer, the purpose of your governor, the purpose of your um, uh, state house and Senate representatives, the purpose of Congress is to secure the rights of the people, then all of a sudden what they do and how they act is going to be completely different. And that's the standard that we need to hold people to, um, you know, those that we elect into government is that's that's what their purpose ultimately is. And when they violate be removed from office you know and over the past two years with this whole COVID thing you can look and see how frequently government has not done that you know these mandates that you you uh you know you have to stay home for two weeks to flatten the curve government had no authority to do that they by making that mandate they were infringing on the rights of the people now the people are smart enough that if they think there's a risk and they should stay home they can make that decision to do that on their own. But as soon as government mandates it and has the power, thinks that they have the power to do that, uh, they're they're not going to give up that power easily. And we see that with the mask mandates right now. We still have uh, two two places in the country. We have Washington, uh, D.C., a public school system still requiring masks, and I think it's Hawaii is the other one, where kids still have to wear a mask. As soon as government takes the power, to do something they are they are um they do not want to give it up mm-hmm. and uh uh and and, well, yeah, and they'll argue still, we our okay. our governor in north carolina is still and i think many others is still functioning under emergency powers am i correct that's the uh yeah that's the the concept that they're doing this under and in fact mm-hmm. i've had discussion with a few of our representatives that uh, we've got to remove any reference to emergency powers from our general statutes. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've been in existence long enough as a state, uh, 200 and was it 200 and well, 1789 is when the, um, North Carolina, I believe was founded as a state. And, and, uh, before that as a colony for another 150 years, we, we we've had enough history. We know what emergencies, uh, to expect. It's mostly weather related hurricanes and floods mm-hmm. and things like that. And you can define into your general statutes the powers that a governor should have in those specific conditions. And to have this generic emergency power uh, opens the door for uh, a government official like our current governor to do the things that he's done over these past two years and get away with it. Mm-hmm. And we just can't do that. You know, uh, you know, to secure these rights, governments are instituted and we, we delegate to the government what the powers they should have. And we need to we need to more clearly define what the governor can and can't do when it comes to these things that we have uh, used to call emergencies that really are just expected bad weather situations that we should be uh, prepared for. And, and let's let's jump to while we're on this topic, I think it's important to point out um, another thing that really gets in the way is all of these three and four letter agencies that have kind of become the fourth branch of government that are not outlined in our constitution. Can you touch on that a little bit? Yeah. So that, that's really interesting. Um, and if you, if you look at the constitution, so, so going back to the declaration, that second section, the abuses and usurpations. So a list of 27 reasons why we broke from great Britain. Okay. When mm-hmm. our founders wrote the, um, the um, articles confederation, 
and then after that, the what we call the Constitution of the United States. Those were supposed to be fixes to those problems, and our Constitution is is the fix to those 27 problems. And what we did is we delegated specific limited powers to the federal government and the states retained all the other powers. But what we have seen happen over the past 200 years, and it really began to uh, happen a lot faster right around the 1930s, we've seen the federal government take more and more and more power among itself. And you see all these three and four letter agencies that exist that uh, that do that. That's what they're there for, is to take power from uh, the states. Now, it's interesting, um, the federal government doesn't have any power to tell the public school system what to do, for example. Um, but the reason they're able to influence the public school system is they take money from the people in the form of taxes, and then they tell the states, if you will do A, B, and C, we'll give you this money. And that's called coercion. You could even call it extortion. Mm-hmm. But they, they, they get the states to take money and then to do their bidding uh, because they took that money. Now, prior to, I think it was 1938, there was a Supreme Court case, United States versus Butler. Prior to that, Congress could only raise taxes and spend it on, on the, their enumerated powers, the powers they had in the Constitution. Uh, with that Supreme Court case, the Supreme Court opened the door, which they couldn't do. They had no constitutional authority to do that, but they opened the door to allow Congress to tax on anything they wanted to tax on, and they could spend money on anything they wanted to. And that's opened the door for them to do that, this coercion and extortion that they do now. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the things that we have got to change. If we want to get our freedoms back and, and push the power back to the states and the local governments, the only way to do that is to is uh, or, or one of the one of the best ways to do that is to take the power away from Congress, be able to tax and spend on anything. They should only be able to tax and spend on what we, the people, have said they can uh, they can tax and spend on in the Constitution. And if you do that, most of these um, uh, agencies go away because they're they're unconstitutional. Um, you know, the EPA, OSHA, HHS, they have no constitutional authority to exist. Well, and we've seen, though, we've seen in the last year in particular, you know, this whole, the mandate that was supposed to come down through OSHA, which, you know, the Supreme Court ruled that that was not within OSHA's power or its purpose, um, fortunately, for that particular mandate. But then on the other hand, um, back to the money that you mentioned, you know, Health and Human Services, um, the NIH, their standards and the ways that they have instructed hospital systems and um, in order to be well reimbursed and to receive Medicaid and Medicare money have been told, you know, basically practicing medicine in order to tell, trickling down to the individual physician, this is what you have to do because this is how the hospital gets paid. So we've tied all of these, what we believe and sitting in our tower to be the standard of care is supposed to trickle down all the way to the individual provider, treating the patient, taking that doctor patient relationship out of the equation, which of course we talk about that a lot on this podcast as well. Mm-hmm. That, that, yeah, that's exactly right. And you know, if HHS had the attitude that they were there to secure the rights of the people, 
mm-hmm. you know, their, their attitude would be completely different, but that's not what they're there for. They, they, they believe their purpose is something completely different. And therefore they don't care if they interfere with the rights of the patient or the doctor to treat the patient or, or anything, because that's not their purpose. Mm-hmm. Well, and I think that's a great example too, when you're saying pushing the power back to the local governments, back to the individual decision makers, it's a whole different perspective when you are sitting in front of your, your city, your patients, your, you know, whatever it might look like and putting those decisions back in the hands of the elected leaders and, or hired people within that organization, city, whatever it might look like that are, is sitting there right in front of the people that they are serving to protect those rights. It's a completely different perspective. And, um, and arguably much more accurate in understanding the population. Yeah, that's, that's exactly right. And mm-hmm. when you get down to the local level like that, if the people, I mean, we see it in the school boards here in the country, right? Uh, you know, mo- most of us, you know, over the past decades, we just expect the school systems doing what it was supposed to do. It's educating our kids. And what we've seen, especially these past two years, uh, when all this went online and parents actually got to see what's exactly happening in their classrooms, uh, that they, they've become incredibly concerned. And you've seen uh, people standing up in, in school board meetings all over the country that have had enough and they want their kids to be educated. They want the, all the handcuffs to be removed from the teachers so they can teach their kids and not have to fall under all these, these federal mandates, especially and these other things that are indoctrinating kids and not educating mm-hmm. kids. And yeah. I think we're going to see this year here in North Carolina, uh, a lot of these school boards overturned and brand new people brought in because the people have had enough and they can affect change. When you're at the national level, how do you affect change at HHS? Mm-hmm. Uh, you and I can't. We can't, we can't, we can't fire Dr. Fauci. Well, and I think that's an important thing, right? I think that a lot of people, uh, one of the positive things about the last two years is, you know, you mentioned one aspect where a lot of people are paying attention. I think many people ask that. Well, I think some people did think that he was elected or that the president could fire him or whatever. And that's just, uh, I honestly don't know who could fire him. Um, I don't, do you know that Scott? I actually don't know that who, who he reports to, you know? (laughs) Yeah. Since it's an executive branch department, ultimately the president can fire him. The president. Okay. Yeah. Yep. And Trump should have, but because of all the politics, I mean, it's just, this is, this is a sad thing about what happened over the uh, four years of the Trump presidency with, with all the focus on Russia collusion and just the lies and things that were told it made it difficult for um, for a Republican president, uh, Trump in particular, to really do the things that he needed to do. And Fauci, he, uh, you know, he was there. If, if he if Trump had been reelected, I think he would have fired Fauci. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and of course, you know, Fauci fits right in with the Biden administration and what they and their desire to control what the people do. So Fauci's going to be there at least through the Biden administration, if, uh, if not longer, but, but interestingly, uh, yeah, I haven't ultimately seen, can fire him. All right. I haven't seen him lately. So I, I think that's, uh, working. Um, you know, I think they bring him out when they think he is useful 
and they useful. hide him when maybe he's not useful. So yeah, that's exactly that's, right. Yeah, seems to be where we are. So, um, let's see. What else did you want to share with us in our last couple of minutes, Scott? Okay, so so a couple of things. I mentioned those twenty-seven abuses of usurpation. Let me mention my favorite on the list, and I would encourage you to read all twenty-seven, especially the first uh, several. But the number ten is my favorite. I love the way um, Jefferson put this, and it ties in with exactly what we were just talking about. Um, mo many of these begin with the word he. It's a reference to the king of Great Britain uh, and uh, parliament. But you could substitute here uh, Congress or the president. So let me, let me read it with, the, with uh, Congress substituted here. So number 10 would, would read like this. Uh, Congress and the president have erected a multitude of new offices and sent hither swarms of officers to harass our people and eat out their substance. And mm -hmm. here, all these, all these uh, offices, the IRS, the FDA, the CDC, OSHA, you go down the list, these offices are created and send out swarms of officers to harass the people and to eat out their substance. Mm -hmm. And, and let, me, let me leave you just a couple of quick thoughts. So our very first Supreme Court uh, Chief Justice, uh, John Jay, he made this statement, and it's, it's something I, I think we need to take to heart. We need to think about every day. He said every member of the state, and he's referring to um, the, the um, United States here. He's, he's using state in the generic. Uh, every member of the state ought diligently to read and study the Constitution of his country and to teach the rising generations to be free. We've forgotten how to be free. We don't teach people how to be free and it mm -hmm. continues by knowing their rights they will sooner perceive when they are violated and thus be better prepared to defend and assert them and that's the lesson i mean that that's what we've got to remind ourselves of we've got to teach our children we got to teach each other how to be free yeah yeah you're so right i i think we um you know i i well Wiggy and I both turned 40 within the next very little bit of time. And it's interesting. We've talked about this because, you know, I felt like I had a very strong civics education um, where I grew up. Actually, it was in Maryland, but on the western tip of Maryland, right on the West Virginia border. And, um, you know, civics was a full class where we learned and studied the Constitution. And then our American government classes were very specific as well. And I know here in North Carolina, there's a push to change the civics, um, from what I understand it, to, to change the curriculum to be more about maybe activism versus what do, what are the, what, what, are, what are, is our country built on? What are we functioning within? What do we need to understand to live within this? And um, are, are you familiar with that new curriculum at all, Scott? I unfortunately I am not. I know that, okay. that there is <clears throat> some discussion on that topic, but I I do not know any of the details, no. unfortunately. But I I I would argue that the specifics of civics are that is not a focus anymore about how to be a citizen, meaning that you understand yeah. this and you study it and understand what it means in order to then act on it and. Um, yeah. I think that's something that's lacking a lot in our public schools. Our kids are not in public school and, they, and it does seem like our school focuses 
heavily on this. And my third grader had to do a full government presentation about the branches and who and what. And you better believe in his video, he shared that the purpose of government was to protect the freedoms of the people. So (laughs) um, (laughs) that's awesome. Yes, he did say that. Awesome. Um, Awesome. Any final words as we close up today, Scott? Yeah, uh, there is actually one thing I'd love to share. So yeah. um, w- one of the things that's happened over the past, really, the 20 years is is we have um, uh, had so many discussions, and that's true with this whole COVID thing. Uh, we've allowed people to appeal to authorities, and our authorities determine uh, what is uh, right and wrong, how we should live or not live or whatever. The experts is the term mm-hmm. that's always used. The Royal Society of London was founded in 1660, and one of the founders was uh, Sir Isaac Newton, who's the father of modern science. And they adopted a, a Latin motto, which which we should we should adopt again today. Uh, it was um, uh, nullius in verba, which simply means on the word of no one. In other words, don't believe what somebody tells you; prove it. Look at the facts. Look at the data. Uh, today, what we've done today when it comes to COVID, we've, we've adopted the uh, phrase a Fauci in verbum. In mm-hmm. other words, on the word of Fauci is what we do. We, we don't have enough curiosity, enough willingness to push back on what we're told and look at the raw data. And that's not, not only true with this COVID thing, but with uh, uh, global warming or you go down the list of all the things that we're being told mm-hmm. and we look to the experts instead of looking at, you know, the real science. And, uh, and that's true here with government, too. Going back to what the doc, uh, Declaration of Independence says, what our Constitution says, and, uh, and not believing what we're told, but, uh, but going back and looking at the real uh, data. Right. And sadly, it works. And that's why they do it. And so that's why it it's is. that much more important. And so, for example, right now, you know, we, our last episode was on the new COVID narrative. And, and, how everything has just dwindled and now we're distracted into some other, you know, other events, um, in my opinion, by design to, you know, take the focus off of what was told and, and were what we were, what was what we were told to do, what we should have been told to do, or was it not? And instead, we're just going to jump on to the next thing. So we never have a chance to evaluate and think critically through that. Um, That's right. And it, but it works. So why would they it do does. anything different when it works? And so that's yeah. why, like you said, and like we say, you know, it's important that we have conversations, that we do our own research, that we move away from headlines and mainstream media and find trusted sources of, for whatever the topic might be. And to go back, like you're telling us today, to the founding documents that we have to remember and remind ourselves what is the purpose of the government in our country and what does that mean for us as citizens as far as how are we to respond to that and um, i think you laid out some really great um points today scott i'm so grateful thank you for being on the podcast for your expertise that you shared and um, just for the work that you do in our community and beyond we are grateful for you well thank you for having me i enjoyed it thank you so much scott we'll talk to you soon Okay.